Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. Welcome to our third episode of Warbreaker. This episode will cover chapters 28 through 40 of Warbreaker. It is our third Warbreaker episode, as I stated. And our next Warbreaker will be from chapter 41 through the end of the book. The end of the book. You're finally going to get to read it. That's right. I'm so Chad. So exciting. I'm Liz. Yes, I'm excited to read the end of this book. So far, this has been my most enjoyable Brandon Sanderson book. And for many people, again, you are, we've talked about this before, you're kind of reading Brandon Sanderson backwards. Many people, uh, most people, I would say, work their way up to reading Stormlight Archives. But I am selfish and greedy, and I wanted to read that series with you. And you, like a champ, have have hung in there. Well, the other part of it is, frankly, I'm not interested in reading 20 novels to get to to the one series we really want to read. Right. Well, my hope is that getting through this will get you more accustomed to what Brandon Sanderson's style is. You know, Brandon Sanderson has said himself not to read the Stormlight Archive until you've read enough of his stuff that you can trust him. I don't trust the man. (laughs) But I'm also a rebel. So fuck you, Brandon Sanderson. I do what I want. (laughs) You don't tell me what to do. So let's get into covering these chapters. Let's talk about it. In chapter 28, Vivenna works out a plan to meet with the Idrians in the city. Viv also hires some forgers to create documents that will prove that the Hallandran priesthood is corrupt. Parlin flirts with Jules, bringing up a possessive streak in Vivenna, but Denth assures her that Jules has other ties. So once again, we see here exploring the theme of Vivenna trying to figure out if she can afford to be a person who bends her beliefs in order to see that those beliefs are preserved. So this idea of divorcing belief from action, and can you ever do that? Vivenna is an interesting character, mostly in that I don't like her. (laughs) She's kind of a stick in the mud and not real bright. I will say that she's growing on me. And, you know, particularly as we get through these chapters, like, I think this is the beginning of where she starts to maybe get a little bit better for me. But I'm not quite sure what else I can say about this particular chapter. Other than I think you can just see sort of the earnestness that she's trying to, you just get the sense that she's very earnest in what she believes. You know, Vivenna definitely has, I would say, the longest way to go in terms of character development. And she comes in to this story very rigid, very self-assured, having been told her whole life that, you know, she's the, the good daughter, the perfect daughter. And, you know, when we compare her to her sister, Siri, Siri is placed in a in a, an environment where her natural character defects, as she would think of them, are, are actually assets, and so she blossoms. And Vivenna is kind of having an opposite path here. Yeah, for She's sure. She's placed in a situation where her uh, her rigidity, her um, all-or-nothing or, or black-or-white morality, which she would have thought of as one of being one of her assets, is actually quite a defect. It's interesting how this just crossed my mind for the first time seconds ago, but it's interesting to compare these two sisters split apart, put in these very difficult situations, compare them to another set of sisters in a similar situation, Arya and Sansa from Mm -hmm. A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. And, but 
the situations there sort of being reversed in that Aria, the more rough and tumble, rough around the edges sibling, also the younger, wilder sibling, gets put, instead of being put in this very refined and controlled situation, she gets put in a wild, crazy situation. And then Sansa, the older, more refined sister, gets put in this situation where, again, her strength being her civility, her 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 sort of womanly skills, her understanding of politics are the sort of assets that she has help her to survive. So it's interesting how you can directly compare and contrast them, but the situation here in Warbreaker is that they get put in situations where neither of them should be expected on the surface to succeed. Exactly, and what you see with Siri is that she has to learn to become less reactive you know, and growing up, the the youngest child of this this family, she was never expected to do anything, and she was not ever expected to live up to her sister. So everything she did was to kind of get attention, was kind of a reaction to the, the strictures that were placed upon her. And so now she's in a situation where she has to kind of grow up and realize that that's not always appropriate. And sometimes she needs to, you know, she's put into a very tense political situation and she has to learn how to think things through, whereas Vivenna has to learn how to stop overthinking and mm-hmm. to open her mind to new perspectives. You know, it's interesting in this chapter, she has a, a conversation with Denth, and he uh, talks about how every man does what he thinks is best. Every man is the hero of his own story. And Vivenna, that's probably kind of a foreign concept to her. She is oh, yeah. very used to being the main character. And we see a big part of the problem that she has is that Siri has kind of taken her role in being sent off to marry the God King. Yeah. In chapter 29, the romance between Siri and Susabron is deepening, and it continues to be absolutely adorable. They discuss whether or not Susabron is divine and whether or not his priests are actually going to try and kill him. Across the city, Viv, Denth, and Tonks survey a crime scene. Vasher and Nightblood have killed one of the gangs that they employed. Vasher and Nightblood watch them, and Vasher is tempted to let Nightblood take the princess, but he ends up not doing anything. So, I mean, Siri and Susabron, how cute are they? Oh, they're adorable. Uh, Susabron is an interesting character at this stage to me because he's really interacting with somebody where it's a reciprocal sort of two-way communication mm-hmm. literally for the first time in his life. Right. And you, you would tend to think that that would create in him an incredible bond with that person. And, and I think it will, mm-hmm. but he still does not take what she says at face value. And she's attempting to convince him or at least have him sort of take an open look at the idea that he's been told a lie his entire life by these priests. However, he has lived with them for his entire life mm-hmm. And this is a new person, not to mention these people are telling him exactly what he wants to hear. So it'll be interesting to see which of these dynamics wins the day. Another thing that's kind of cool with this chapter is, and the conversation between Siri and Susabron is, Siri goes on about talking about the mountains and how they're so vast, they give you a sense of how insignificant you are. And one of the things we see in this book a lot is how the geography has influenced the belief system and the worldview, the importance of the flowers, the tears of Eggly. You know, they're surrounded by these beautiful flowers um, versus in Idris, surrounded by the mountains and... um just how the geography has impacted the culture and the people. Yeah, absolutely. We also, a little bit of world building, we hear talk about the first returned, someone named Vo, who had the five visions. The face uh, of Bo. The, not the face of Bo. Oh, sorry. Um, 
And in a, a conversation between a couple of conversations, one, um, Denth is talking about how he plans to beat Vasher. So we're talking about Vasher again. And his plan is to force him to draw his sword because that will drain him. Mm. And they also um, yeah. mm-hmm. talk about how, and this has come up a couple of times, how did Vasher beat Arsteel, who was once a member of their company, who was acknowledged to be a way better swordsman than than Vasher, but Vasher killed him. And Vasher did not use his magic sword to do it. So there's speculation there. We also have a conversation between Vasher and Nightblood as they're surveying the scene, trying to decide what they're going to do with Vivenna. That's kind of interesting. Uh, they call, they refer to Denth as Veratrelides, or Nightblood refers to him as that. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, they're looking over the scene and, you know, Vasher and Denth are obviously enemies and have been for a long time. But when Nightblood senses them he says oh there's veratrelides we should go see him he'll be so happy to see me yeah <laughs> and vasher's like no no nightblood he won't and uh and nightblood says is shashara here she made me you know she made me to destroy evil and vasher says we killed shashara a long time ago just like we killed our steel so just a little bit we don't know what any of that means at this point, but that's a little bit of backstory there. And again, I just love Nightblood. <laughs> so it's interesting that Denth and Veratrelides, two very different names. We learn in Stormlight Archive that people who are low born have these simple one syllable names. <laughs> Turd. Turd. You know butt job or whatever <laughs> you know vera and then these these highborn people have these you know complicated more multisyllabic names there's nothing more multisyllabic than veratrelides <laughs> but he goes by but it's not symmetrical ah it's a different world but he goes by denth i mean that's a i mean that's just one step above turd so, One step above turd. Leads me to That's believe funny. it's a fake name. All right. In chapter 30, Light Song is spinning pottery. It's all part of an effort to discover what things he may have been good at before his return. So far, the list includes math, sailing, and juggling. He and Blushweaver visit Hopefinder, the god of innocence and beauty. Hopefinder agrees to trade his lifeless commands to Blushweaver in return for her vote on the Council of Social Ills. Lightsong suspects that he may have been a city watch officer at some point. So this is a little bit interesting. Hopefinder is a child returned. Yeah. He is a returned who, who came back in a when he was still a child. So he is, you know... In, in a child's body still. So he ages, but just at an incredibly slow pace. Yeah. Return as children, they mature quickly till they get to a certain point. Oh, that's I what think. it was. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I missed, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and we also learned that most gods don't last 20 years. Average is 10 before they fulfill their purpose. They fulfill their purpose, which is to die for somebody. Right. Um, also, I just have to say in this chapter... I think at some point Blushweaver asks Light Song if he's serious, and he says, "Dead as a squirrel, serious." <laughs> I mean, Light Song is is the best. He's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely the best. This is interesting. Him just being like, "I'm just gonna go try everything to find out what right? I'm good at." Can you, you know? imagine? Yeah, I mean, you know, so it's an interesting thing to see because he randomly finds himself in this really unusual circumstance because somebody from outside has penetrated this very protective bubble that these priests have held so that no outside stimulus should ever interrupt these gods. Mm -hmm. So they should never have to dwell upon what they were. I mean, you can't help but think that that aspect of 
them knowing their past is somehow like it has to be relevant to the story at some level. But at this point, I can't see how. So what do you think? Do you think that Light Song was a city watch captain? Inspector Clouseau of the of the Idrians? No, I think that's too straightforward. Mm-hmm. But I don't really have a good alternate theory. Right. It certainly doesn't explain why he would be good at juggling. Right. I mean, maybe he was a undercover spy traveling minstrel. I don't I mean <laughs> I don't know. But it but it's just interesting that like mm-hmm. it's only because of this weird outside occurrence right that he had any opportunity to even go down this road or or any desire to yeah. you know um his experience of the excitement that he had when there was a mystery presented him to and all of a sudden now he wants to find out figure out more about who he was. Yeah. Maybe he was just a librarian with a really active imagination and a lot of time on his hands. In chapter 31, Viv meets with the Idrians of the city. She's shocked at the state of the Idrian quarter. The people there aren't interested in hope or in returning to Idris. They only want revenge on Halandren. Viv gets called out on her hypocrisy in judging the slumlords, but before she has a chance to react, the slums are attacked by the city watch. Viv is almost killed, but she is saved by Claude. Good old Claude. Good old Claude, who apparently is pretty good at sword fighting for a zombie. He must. He was one hell of a zombie. He was a good old zombie, he was. Good old Claude. Yeah, so this is where I think, you know, the story starts to begin to turn... Because to this point, you know, it's been a lot of stage setting, and we learn a little bit about the mysteries that are at hand, but not a whole lot actually happens to this point. Now we start to see things happen. We start to see that the pieces on the board are starting to move. And I thought the interaction with the Idrians and them sort of calling out Vivenna, like you said, on her hypocrisy— I thought it was very interesting that, you know, you didn't have this, what would happen, particularly in a lot of older fantasy novels, would be some princess would show up amongst the great unwashed and rouse the rabble, Mm -hmm. you know, and to their revolution, they would come, you know, and she stands in front of these people and they're like, what do you have for us? Right. You got nothing for us. You know, we left Idris on her own. Because there was no opportunity there for us, you know, so fuck off, you know, and then they get attacked and we find out that, you know, they're somebody's very, very, you know, she hasn't either hasn't hasn't done a good job of hiding what they're doing, but either way that the powers that be in Helandrin are on to them, you know. And once again, we have Viv kind of pretending like she's in charge, but really just bouncing around reacting to things. Oh, she has no idea what she's doing. No idea what's going on. And and we also have an interesting exploration of what happens to an immigrant underclass. You know, and it's an interesting contrast, you know, the reality of these people's lives versus what Viv thinks must have happened. Because in her mind, her country is, is this perfect little utopian system and society and the only reason that anyone would leave would be if they were forced to leave and they must all want to go back and uh, her eyes are really opened here in chapter 32 siri wakes up determined to act she visits light song and they get told a story by hoyd 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 he tells them about the history of the god kings beginning with the five scholars who discovered the secrets of awakening to Khaled the usurper who created the frightening new lifeless called Khaled's phantoms. Siri finds out that she is a descendant of the first returned. There have only been five God Kings in 300 years and every single God King gives up his life voluntarily once his son is born. So one thing I find interesting here is the contrast between Siri knowing that she was unprepared coming to Halandren and her agency 
mm-hmm. and then Viv feeling that she was prepared to come to Halindren and her lack of agency. And it, it makes or effective me agency. like exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, it, it makes me think about when we brought our first child home. Uh, okay. Yeah. From the hospital because, um, so I grew up around babies. I'm the oldest of five children. My mother did foster care for much of my childhood. So there was always a baby in my house. You know, over 100 babies came through my house. So I, I know babies, right? You, oh, I was you do. Very, and I, you, you didn't. No. And I was very much like, don't worry, you know. I got this baby thing down. I got this baby thing down. I had, I really had no concerns about being able to take care of a baby. And yet, when they put that child in my arms and started to wheel me out of the hospital with her, all I could think was, oh, shit. <laughs> They're really sending me home with this thing. <laughs> Are you sure this is okay? And, and this, this insanity descended upon me where I completely forgot everything that I knew about babies. <laughs> and I remember the next day, you and I going having to take her to the pediatrician Uh and not being able to work a car seat. I I literally could not. And I remember you and I standing in the parking lot crying for like 45 minutes because we couldn't get her buckled in her car seat. Our pediatrician was 15 minutes away. (laughs) We managed to be 45 minutes late. And we didn't have a diaper bag. And then we showed up with no diapers. And of course, she went to the bathroom in her diaper, and the pediatrician was like, I'm sure I have a diaper somewhere. We were very tired in our defense. (laughs) But yeah, it's like sometimes the more prepared you think you are, the less prepared you actually are. I remember the first time I had to do a a guitar recital Mm -hmm. in, in, in college. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I've got this down. And then, you know, when it came time to actually perform it, despite the hours and hours and hours of practice that I put in, I was very confident that I was just going to walk in and perform this piece. And I fell flat on my face, had no idea what real preparation for a recital was. Just had, like guitar. What's a guitar? Uh, yeah, like I was like, I don't know how many strings this thing has. Like I, <laughs> it, you know, I just did not realize what I was getting myself into. Just like Vivenna. Just like Vivenna. It's pretty much the same. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You know, starting an uprising in a foreign country, bringing home a newborn. It started an uprising in our foreign country. Yeah, right. Um, So a little bit of world building that we get in this chapter, too. We find out that there are returned everywhere, all over the world. Um, It's just in this country, you know, in Idris, if a returned comes back, they don't feed them the extra breath that they need to stay alive. They just live for a week and then that's it. They're done. That's got to suck. Right? Like, surprise, you're not dead yet again. Well, also think about, like, your family members. Yeah. You know, you lose a family member, and then, like, a day later, they knock on your door, and you're like, oh, you're alive for a couple days. (laughs) Right. That's fucking terrible. Right? Um, We also find out that agelessness happens to everyone who reaches the fifth heightening. So that's not just for the returned. That's for anyone who has enough breath. So we talk about Hoyt for a second. That son of a bitch is everywhere. He's everywhere. We got Vasher showing up in Stormlight. Hoyt showing up in Warbreaker. Can't keep this little alien bastard straight. Right? Um, when Hoyt in this chapter is asked, where did you learn storytelling? He says, I learned it many years ago from a man who didn't know who he was. It was a distant place where two lands meet and gods have died. So just a little Hmm. Hoyd cryptic backstory for you. Well, I can think of a place where two lands meet in Roshar. 
I don't think he learned storytelling in Roshar. I mean, I could be wrong. You don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I do know. Sorry. <laughs> in chapter 33, you're such a good sport. You really are. <laughs> I love you. I love you. As, I love you too. <laughs> okay. Chapter 33. Viv and the gang recoup at the safe house. She is having a major identity crisis and realizes that coming to Helendren was never really about Siri. Denth starts to teach her commands and how to awaken, but she's unable to use them before Vasher kidnaps her. Oh, Vasher. So in the, in the annotations for this chapter, and Brandon Sanderson has like notes written, I, I think I've said yeah, that Yeah, I don't before. read them. So in the annotation for this chapter, Viv realizes something about herself and and he talks about how she takes the wrong sort of responsibility for her life versus Siri. She realizes something about herself and takes the right sort of responsibility. So again, there's just this, this interesting contrast between the sisters. We also see like an interesting dynamic between Jules and Claude and as she's repairing yeah. him, she seems very attached to him. And she, Viv overhears her saying, like, you and I just need to get out of here and go somewhere together. So it's a little a little weird. And we also, um, we have Parlin kind of calling Viv out as well in the middle of her identity crisis. And he, he tells her, you've never actually been that nice to me. You know, and she's like, oh, I always thought that, you know, our parents wanted us to get married, you know, and all this time she thought he was in love with her. And she said several times, like, oh, poor Parlin, he's so into me, you know, and he's like, you know, you're actually not very nice to me. Kind of a bitch. You kind of you think I'm stupid and you make that very clear, you know, and uh, that's just a nice little come up as I thought. (laughs) Well, I'm glad he got he got to say his piece. Have I told the story about the time that those guys yelled at me um, and I thought they were catcalling me and they weren't? Oh, no, you haven't told. <laughs> okay. No, you haven't told that I one. Was, I was like pulling out of a gas station. Okay. It was early in the morning. This is many, 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 many years ago. This is like uh, 15 was, years ago. I was yeah, way more self-involved. I'm only slightly less self-involved <laughs> now. But this group group of guys like pulls in and, and they're start, like... um kind of following me a little bit like they're pulling out and they're yelling out their windows and i'm just like oh gross you know perverts you know and uh they keep yelling and yelling and then they pull up next to me at the stoplight and i realize that they're yelling your wallet's on top of your car (laughs) (laughs) i'm an asshole you judgmental bitch (laughs) so thank you random strangers from 20 something years ago God bless you all. (laughs) (laughs) I've grown as a person because of you. Anyway, that just made me think of, I I felt Vivenna in in this chapter a little bit. Okay. (laughs) We've all done something like that. Right in the prides, right Right. there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I haven't. So in chapter 34, Lightsong and Blushweaver discuss how to get the lifeless commands from All Mother. Siri reflects on what a terrible Queen Vivenna would have made. And then she gets into a catfight with Blushweaver. Meow. She also meets with Bluefingers and secures a promise of help should she and Susabron need to flee the palace. So kind of a whole lot here. Yeah. Whole lot of wheels in motion. We also kind of are reminded again about Bluefingers being from the Pancal and how they're not actually part of either of these countries. But Which is yeah. All of the characters seem to keep forgetting that. Yeah, it's sort of something that only in these chapters does it start to become like mention. It's be- it's becoming mentioned more often, and only to this point did it start to become. Did I start to become aware of it? Like the idea. Oh wait a minute! Like this is not like just like another like flavor of the same team. Like these are a completely different people, and I don't. I don't recall if it was said in there, like, why they're there. Are they, like, captured slaves? Like, like I don't recall if it says that. They're not slaves, but they're just, you know, the um, the Helandrans so thoroughly came in and kind of dominated the continent 
in in terms of, you know, just culture and everything and, and religion. And people just forget that the Pankal are actually not like that their religion is separate, mm-hmm. you know? So they're just like an like an, a separate culture that was sort of absorbed by the Halandrin, but still kept some degree of cultural identity. Right. But everyone forgets that. And so people from Idris tend to think are like, oh, well, these are your gods. And they're like, no, they're not, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not, you know? It's interesting that you would have this group who clearly do not believe in the gods so intimately involved in the day-to-day operations of the gods. Right. And I have yet well, to- Well, in particular, f- yeah. Bluefinger seems to completely run the place. Yeah. I have yet to figure out what that means. Theoretically, they wouldn't have a great deal of loyalty to these gods. Theoretically. Theoretically. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So in chapter 35, this is where the shit goes down. Oh, it's starting to get real from here. Vivenna wakes up in Vasher's custody. He forces her to pick up Nightblood and realizes that she is pure of heart. She manages to escape using awakening. She makes it to the safe house and looks for the others in the cellar. Instead, she finds Parlin dead. Tonk Fa's pets are all dead too. Oh, hey, turns out he's a sociopath and Denth wasn't joking about being untrustworthy. Turns out she's been kidnapped by them the whole time. What? (laughs) Fortunately, she has managed to overhear Claude's security phrase, and she uses it to be able to escape yet again. Bitch is on the run. How about that plot twist? That, That one hell of a plot twist. Right? To find out that really she's been kidnapped. This whole time. This whole time. Denth has her running around doing whatever he wants her to do. Well, and how genius is it to basically be like, we've kidnapped you. We're simply not going to tell you that we've kidnapped you. We're just going to convince you to hire us. She hired them to kidnap her, basically. You're going to hire us to protect you. It's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool, yeah. I also love, I just love Nightblood anytime Nightblood talks. When she when she picks up Nightblood, he says, hello, would you like to kill someone today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm made to destroy evil. <laughs> and I, I love here the contrast between Light Song, who plays the lovable rogue, okay, but really he's actually noble, and Denth, who comes off as super charismatic and noble, but he's actually not he's actually very dishonorable it's like a neat contrast there well yeah i also like we have a similarity to some degree between tonk fa and non balat from stormlight right in this just sort of perversion where they like to inflict pain and it is sort of like how did you not see this mm-hmm. but they correctly assume of Avena that she is so far out of her element and that they're the first people that she sees in this city. So that becomes the new normal for her. Well, and they so are, are able to t- tell the truth, but play it off as humor. And she buys yeah. it. Yeah. And how much easier is that than trying to lie? Poor Parlin. Poor Parlin. He did not get a break. No, he did not. He did not. He had nothing. Nope. He's the, he's the Jorah Mormont. Right. In this book. <laughs> as soon as he gets a decent moment, mm-hmm. off him. In chapter 36, Siri and Susabron share an intimate meal, and she tries her hand at flirtation. Susabron agrees to flee to Idris with her if things get bad. So this is just a cute little scene, okay? Uh, Ceres, you know, hungry in the middle of the night, and Susabron is like, brings us the food, and they have this little floor picnic, and uh, she's using terrible table manners, and he's shocked, but it's it's just a, it's just a cute little moment, mostly. But 
really kind of what's important is that Sousa Braun is starting to trust her and he agrees to, you know, to leave if it looks like he's actually in danger. Mm-hmm. And what's cool here, too, is Ciri's got this growing ability to control her hair versus Vivenna has a growing inability to control hers, where oh, it was yeah, always the yeah. same way around, the other way around. So what's your thought on Sousa Braun at this point? Is he naive in trusting his priests or is he um, is does he think he has a reason for it? No, I think he's naive, but I don't know how much we can fault him for that, for all the reasons that I stated before. I mean, this is what he's known the entirety of his life. And isn't he like 50 years old or something like that? Something like that. So, you know, for 50 years, this has been the constant input and... He has a demonstration of this is what life is. Right. You know, this person comes into his life from the outside and tells him something different. He's only known her for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And it's not as though he's unaware of the idea that he's going to give up his life. Like, I think that that was sort of a realization to me. Like, he's not unaware of it. Where she, to her, this is like a huge revelation, you know, and he's like, yeah, that's the way it goes. Am I right in that or am I not remembering things correctly? No, I think you're right. What I think, I don't know if I've said this before or not. It's interesting to me that Vivenna knows that they are listening to their conversation but she does not seem to... Oh, Siri. I'm sorry. Yeah. Siri knows that people are listening to their conversation, but she doesn't seem to take a, a great deal of care to hide what she's saying to him. Well, I, I think it's mentioned that they wait until... They've learned to wait until they can hear that... Like, the people aren't there all night long. Mm-hmm. Um she does her little act or whatever, and then they can kind of hear someone leaving in the next room. Uh, but mostly, I think they're communicating by a slate. I know that's a big part of it as well. Um, yeah. And she, she's talking, I would assume she's talking quietly. I would assume if she'd been busted, we would have, you know, something would have happened at this point. In chapter 37, Viv is stuck wandering the streets. Her dress gets stolen and she is at a physical, mental, and emotional low. She manages to hide her breath in an old shawl, making herself into a drab. Clever. Yeah, so we see Viv at a bottom here. Yeah, it reminds me a little of Quoth and Tarbian. Yes, definitely get that vibe. And, and we hope it's going to be the beginning of a transformation for yeah, her. Yeah, I hope it doesn't take three years. Right? Yeah, she's been uh, she's been stripped of her illusions that she's in any kind of control. Um and we're hoping that at this point we'll see her grow as a character. In chapter 38, Light Song wakes up after a war nightmare. He also has dreamed about Blushweaver with a flushed face, Larimer sleeping, and the God King crying. He discovers that some of the priests are entering the court using tunnels. He doesn't have the secrets teased out yet, but he's realized that he is the kind of person who cannot let secrets remain hidden. So what did you think at this point uh, about Light Song's past? Any any suspicion? Um, obviously, we're building toward him finding this out, we hope, at this point. I mean, I think Light Song is Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> Do you think that the Return's dreams are prescient? Or is that just a load of it, do you think? No, I think they are prescient. I, I definitely think there's something there. You know, wh- it's hard to say what it is, but, you know, the fact that he's constantly dreaming of war, the fact that there seems to be an impending war, the concept that, uh, Blushweaver would end up being embarrassed is the way I read that. Her face was red and flushed. Okay, or she could be angry. Right. But she's gaining control over the armies. That seems to line up. You know, no, I definitely think there's something to his dreams. The, the I mean, colors are so critical in this world, and 
colors continue to come up over and over again in his dreams. So I, I definitely think there's something there. I don't think it's bunk. But again, there's not enough there that I think we can tell what it means. Whether or not it means something's going to happen that's unescapable, I wouldn't go that far. Right. But, you know, it could just simply be a warning. You know, if you need to figure this out, because if you don't, something is, the country's going to end up in war and all Mm -hmm. kinds of terrible things are going to happen. You know, these could be, uh, these could be something telling him that he's got to get this under control. One thing I thought was cool in this chapter is, so Light Song talked about being good at math, and we start to see these little math terms in his, just in his language. And in this chapter, he's talking about the absolute value of emotion being more important than the direction of the emotion, Mm. like the intensity of the emotion. I was like, oh, that's, that's just cool how they're starting to work those little things in. In chapter 39, Vivenna has been on the streets for a week. She sold her hair and has nothing else of value other than the breath. She's starving, beaten, and fully realizes that she is no different from the poor wretches she once so looked down on. That's right. So this is a bit of a redemptive chapter for Vivenna. It is. For all of her kind of snobbery and looking down on, particularly there's a scene where she's looking at the the ladies in the brothel and realizing, oh, I get it now. I get why that looks good because they're fed and they have a bed to sleep on and they're not sick, you know? Um, So again, we've kind of really, (laughs) Vivenna has been a pretty unlikable character up until this point. And so she's kind of working through that bottom and now realizing that, She's not any better than any of these people that she's kind of looked down on. This is something that you I haven't seen from another Brandon Sanderson character to this point. It's something that you see a lot with George R. R. Martin taking a character who you don't like a lot and putting them through so much shit that you have to be sympathetic for them. Mm -hmm. You know, so taking this character that is just ugly, nobody likes, and then making, making you feel emotion for them, which is, I think, a really skillful thing to do. It's the first time I've seen Brandon Sanderson do it. His books aren't always necessarily about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not, that's not a knock on him. It's just a simply a statement of, of what it is, but it, but yeah, it is interesting. We have, we see Vivenna in a very different place. You know, you'd like to think, and it seems like it will, this will be a useful place for her to be. So she can actually sort of under, if she gets out of this, so she can actually understand the people she's trying to relate to and relate with because nobody's listening to her in her princess gowns. Right. Or bullshit. <laughs> Come back to Idris. <laughs> Idris opens its arms to you. And we left there. It reminds me of that one time we watched um, the Kardashian show. Do you remember that? No, I don't. I, we I watched belie- it one time. I believe you, but I don't. And they went to visit these hurricane victims who were still living in FEMA trailers. And they like visited this one family and they were so moved that they were going to do this big gesture for them. <laughs> and so like at the end, you're like, they're like building it up, building it up. It's going to change their lives, all this stuff. And you're like, oh, they're going to buy them a house. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. Right? And then at the end, they like, they take them to this furniture store and they're like, We've bought you all this furniture. For your FEMA trailer. And one day when you have a house, you can come here and pick out anything you want. It's like, what? There may be more to that story than I know. Maybe, I, I don't know. But but it was so like, you bought them furniture when they're homeless. Why? But that is that was very like Vivenna was very um that was very much who she was. You know, does not have any 
any frame of reference outside of herself. No frame of reference outside of, whoa, I lived in a castle my entire life. Yeah. (laughs) You know? But here we see her actually living it. And we see this heavy uh, Les Mis influence come out here. It is very Les Mis. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that before, but you're right. So chapter 40. Siri is enjoying a meal when she's visited by Trelides, the high priest. It's a tricky interaction, as he has enough breath to notice even minute changes in her hair color, so it's very difficult for her to hide her feelings. He's more devoted to the God King than Siri would have guessed, and he explains to her why they took Susabron's tongue. She asks for her serving women to be replaced by women from Pankal. So... The priests take the God King's tongue because they say that his breath, his uh, breath that's passed from father to son, doesn't belong to him. It actually belongs to the nation. That this breath was uh, originally came from the founder of the nation and that he he's they take the God King's tongues so that they won't use it because it's not theirs to use. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that so far through this whole thing, Siri seems to keep unraveling this mystery and like, oh, these priests, they're up to no good. And I do think they're up to no good. I, I mean, I I do think that her general sense is correct, whether they're, you know, de- deliberately being evil or whether this is simply something that they've inherited and per- and perpetuated. But every time she sort of thinks that she's kind of got them and she's figured something out, she finds somebody who says, no, that's not really, it's not really the way you think it is. And so there's always sort of a counter argument to all of her aha moments, which is interesting because it does not, it makes it very unclear to this point, two thirds of the way through this novel is there really a bad guy other than Tonk Fa? Yeah, he's pretty obviously a bad guy. Like, you know, who's the bad guy here? But I think that's one of the central themes of this novel. And when Denth says every man is the hero of his own story, that's something that's addressed here. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you say that because in the annotations for this chapter, Brandon Sanderson talks about how important it is for a good story to tell all the sides of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't read those annotations. I'm afraid there's going to be spoilers. There are some. So that's why I write down the things that I think are the most interesting. And I think I that's why you tell told them me. to you. Yeah, there you go. Now, if, if someone else wants to, I do believe that the spoilers are marked in the annotations. So I think you probably could read them, but. Or you could just listen to this podcast, and I'll tell you the best bits. There you go. It's also in the Kindle. It's not very easy to get. It's it's easy to get to the annotations. It's not as easy to get back to the chapter. Right. So it makes it inconvenient for me to hop back and forth, unlike a real book. Right. Fuck them annotations, yo. (laughs) So that's it. And now you can read the end, and I am so excited for you to read the end of this book. It's magnificent. I'm excited to read it. I finally get exciting ending. I get to actually finish a story, like not even like finish a novel and wait seven more years for somebody to finish the next novel. But I actually get to finish. This might be the first time in this podcast that that's ever happened. It might be. Um, we Unless know Ready Player One counts. There's a possibility of a Warbreaker sequel, but this... Oh, no, no, no. damn it. <laughs> but, this, but I don't think it's going to pick up right. It's kind of set in the same world. Gotcha. Do you know what okay. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was written as a standalone. It is a self-contained book. It's not a series at all. Um, so he has talked about going back to the world of Warbreaker with another book, but it doesn't... It, it has an ending. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I'm that's tr- it. Give us some predictions. I'm trying to think, trying to think of them. So about 10 minutes into this podcast, I was like, Ooh, I've got a great prediction, but now we're on the other side of midnight. 
and I'm struggling to recall. All your thoughts have left your brain. Exactly. They've it's been all a long day. fallen straight out of my head. So question before I get into predictions. Okay. Dent's name is Veratrelides. Yes. And the head priest's name is Trelides. Uh-huh. So there's some sort of relation there. I don't know. Game of Thrones has Aegon's out the wazoo. That's a good point. Maybe it's more of a title than a name. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Predictions, predictions. Well, my first prediction is that Vasher is the person that's going to save Vivenna. Okay. What's the name of the religious group? Pan Call? Pan? Yeah, the Pan Call. Pan Call, okay. I think the Pan Call are going to be the demise of the returned. Okay. And I think Susabron dies. Those are some good predictions. Those are my predictions. All right. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just shit I was forced to come up with. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else? I don't. Tell them where they can find us. They can find us at the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. They can find us on Twitter at the DND podcast, on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess, also on our Facebook group page at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the DND d group you can also find us on instagram on goodreads on reddit all the different social medias if you just look for us we're out there we're out there waiting for you good night everybody good night Mm -hmm.